But that could be a decent year and a half. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right? Their, their quality yeah. is generally just terrific. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, for oncologists, a year and a half is very good. Yeah, so, you know. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. yeah because enough. we always tend to uh, compare with. So I always tend to compare with cardiology and say, you know, uh, if you have an animal with atrial fibrillation, yeah, they yeah. only have three months. Yeah. But if you have a, a patient with cancer, they can live up to a year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. yeah. Sorry for saying Sorry Media presents the Purr Podcast, the best podcast for feline medicine and surgery with tips, tricks, and updates for the entire veterinary healthcare team. If you're dying to know more about cats, keep on listening. Here are your hosts, Dr. Susan Little, famous cat vet and textbook author, and Dr. Yola Kirpenstein, talented surgeon and social media geek. Hello, this is Dr. Yola Kirpenstein. And Dr. Susan Little. And this is number two of our first two podcasts in feline cardiology. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's amazing to me that we have not had a cardiologist on yet, so we're really mm -hmm. fortunate to have Dr. Phil Fox back I with us know, again. I know, from AMC. Welcome. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. How do you feel about it as um, a, a treatment for the cats that you feel are at higher risk, you know, the big left atria, the small, oh, yeah, the, yeah. you know, do you, yeah. we don't really, do we have any good data on? Yeah, well, there is some data. And in fact, uh, interesting you mentioned that, that was a, um, th there's a project that was commissioned, if you will, by the American College of Veterinary Internal Medicine, who every year um, commissions one or two consensus <laughs> groups of uh of, uh, I don't know, you guess some people call them opinion leaders from around the world. Uh, this group was designed exactly like you said, was to identify uh, common best practices to treat and diagnose cats with heart disease, how do you prevent blood clots, how do you treat and manage heart failure. Hmm. And um, we spent uh, a year on that, um, it's half done, and we hope that by next year it'll be in, in press. That should be very useful. Yeah, yeah be... those consensus papers are really difficult because there's so many opinions. Oh how my do God. You, how do you <laughs> deal with that? Well, it's, they're difficult in, and it's, they're in, in two ways and then with the cat, three ways. The first way is that all the people that are selected have made major contributions in the medicine and science of feline heart health. Mm -hmm. But um, we all have pretty big egos, I guess would be fair. <laughs> and, um, and that's a fact. So, you know, just dealing with that amongst, it is a little bit of a recalibration until, but the group for this was wonderful and, uh, and everyone worked together and there was always, uh, <laughs> you know, there was always a little bit, uh, someone might get miffed, but not for very long and everyone wanted to actually try to find the best mm -hmm. pathway. And then the the interesting the second interesting thing is that is it's not very easy to um, analyze the, the scientific data because the studies are different and some have low numbers of patients. Sometimes the study organization wasn't that good. All manner of things that make it difficult to even interpret what's out there. So our our group. Um, did that and reviewed all the scientific literature on maybe 20 topics related, which wow. was a big deal. Mm -hmm. And there were groups of two and three, and we each graded them on the scientific merit. And the third problem, which is more of a cat issue, is that there isn't that much scientific yes. information available, which is terrible. So that you have to, uh, there's big gaps in understanding. 
So with that though, um, the uh, it was presented by the the group chair, Dr. Uh, Virginia Louise Fuentes at the Royal Veterinary College. Um, everybody felt really good about it, and now we're in the, the stage of uh, manuscript prep mm. uh, um, uh, creation, which should come out. Uh, we thought it would be out already, but hopefully yeah. next. And these so things take so what, what, what I really like about these consensus papers is sometimes that people are allowed to give dissenting views. To. Yeah, so, and there's many. So yeah. and, and that's the truth. Yeah. So because, you know, uh, if you have, if you don't have a lot of scientific data, people really go with their gut feeling yeah, yeah. and their experience yeah. between brackets, and yeah. that's where those descending views come yeah. in. But everybody has something right. You know? Yeah, and it's a sobering experience because you go in there, and you have a very one has a very strong opinion of their opinion relative to medical management of of heart disease, mm. based on you know scientific work, scientific study, experience. But um, when one gets into that realm, you don't realize what you don't really know because you just do what you know. Yep. Yes. And then you come up against someone who does it 180 degrees different, and um, it's it's an eye opener, you know. Yeah. And so you've got to, you know, you've got to commune with that or those individuals or that part of the committee, find out what's the basis of their experience, and they have to admit that well maybe they're just as biased as you and maybe nobody knows and then sometimes someone actually does know because they have information not always even published yet that yeah. uh, that everyone goes wow I've never seen that that's mm. incredible mm. thank you I'm gonna change my mind mm. so the the you know the 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 objective of everybody in this committee was listen you know we come in with our opinions and biases at the end of the day you know the best science wins uh, it may not be what you do, or it may, mm -hmm. but if it if it, uh, it has a better rationale for something that the other person does, then let's say that this is probably better. So that's what consensus does, mm -hmm. and and they're not perfect, but they each one of these builds tremendously, and out of it comes a publication with guidelines before which there was really nothing. And then it's important to realize that these guidelines will evolve in time because yeah. we learn new things. Yeah. So I, the thing that I like about guidelines is that guidelines are improved every so many yeah. years yeah. and people will go back and say, okay, this is what we said then. Now we know all this thing yeah. and maybe we should change that to something yeah. else. Exactly, so. yeah. I'm the survivor, I like to say, of several guidelines um, experiences. <laughs> and they, um, they, they, I think, for, uh, I think they're a good experience to go through, I really do. I think we learn through them as well. Yeah. And they, they are a, an important consensus building um, exercise. And they are a point in time. Yeah. Uh, it's amazing to me that this will be the first uh, guidelines for uh, feline cardiac disease. Yeah, like, like what were we doing before this? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's ama a bit <laughs> amazing to yeah, me. It, yeah, it's it it's incredible. Yeah, yeah and as you say, they, they're time limited. Some things stand for decades, but most of it changes as new information comes about. And yeah. and uh, it's easier to update these now. It was not so easy in the old days, but uh, publication, online, journals. Um, it's much easier. Much easier. And, yeah. it, and it's also incredibly important for pet owners who had nothing mm -hmm. other than scientific articles that no one could understand. Mm -hmm. The other thing, Phil, that you said, which I think is really important, is being able to share data that has not been shared yeah, yet yeah. or we know that people there's so much research done that really didn't 
get the results that you wanted to get and it will never be published yes. but another person might do exactly the same research yeah. with the same results so so I, I i'm always surprised when i talk with peers of my you know of, of, of my specialty and they said oh I, I'm, I'm going to research this and i said yeah but i did that a long time ago yeah. and it didn't work yeah. mm-hmm. um, but it's not published so mm. people don't know and then we repeat that same circle yeah. over and over again yeah. and if you get all these people together in this consensus thinking mode they start realizing that too because yeah. we're all to blame yeah yeah but and, and the other interesting thing about why consensus panels are important is that the, the natural um, way of things whether it's a medical school or a veterinary university right veterinary college is that people need publications and academia to go forward yes your tenure and promotion and salary and worth is judged uh, often and in large part by what you publish and certainly how many publications per year mm-hmm. and what happens that what that does is it um, it promotes oftentimes studies from single sites people trying to do the best they can and at the end of it they don't have enough cases to really make conclusions yeah and everyone can't afford it when they're trying to get tenure uh, you have to produce otherwise you're, you're in trouble so yeah. the system quote um, is uh, co- you know contrary to development of wider collaborations and uh, the consensus statement things everyone on there has has tenure or the equivalent so they're not worried about that yeah and um, it kind of breaks through the the uh, those roles that that people in the beginning of their career you know have to have to hoops that they have to jump through yeah so one of the advantages or at least what they say now of having the bigger corporate clinics Mm -hmm. private clinics um, accumulate a lot of practices is that they get databases that are suddenly really really big Mm -hmm. where you can do research on without the limitations of academia and there's a, a big role for that, you know, mm-hmm. big need for it. I, I'm excited. I think that good things will come out over time and mm. and will probably have significant impacts on what we know and what we should do or could do. Let's um, circle back to the the, um, the HCM study. Yeah. So what was the average lifespan? Oh, I knew you were going to ask me that. <laughs> I know you were afraid of that. The, yeah, uh, yeah. The the publication is like thirteen pages long and it had twelve figures. So and we will. Um, it, it's probably open access. It is open access. Okay, so we'll put it in our yeah. in our notes. Yeah, so yeah. We'll there you go. go. Yeah, we'll and I don't want to say because yeah, because I'll, be I'll, I'll okay. get it wrong. But, no, that's, that's totally fine. Uh, but it turns out that uh, one of the things we did was we took we looked at cats. Uh, so the day that every cat was enrolled in a study was time zero yeah and then we looked at their survival uh one year five years ten years Mm. after after initial and we could find out uh, at what um, period of time they started to have problems and the bottom line was that uh, i was surprised what the morbidity and mortality was it was it really gets your attention it is truly not good to have this disease it, it makes a big negative impact or, or a big impact on their longevity yeah. and that brings up that the next thing is then what do you do about it yeah yes so what do you do well about the, good question that's the uh, i don't uh, i wrote a paper with a colleague on uh, i think it was called um treatment of asymptomatic cats 
with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. And what we, after reviewing the world literature and our personal experience, uh, the bottom line was that there was no uh, confusion as what options, what, what good options there were for treating cats with asymptomatic heart disease. There were no options. Yeah, there yeah, was, the there option was, zero. Yeah. There was no studies at all that have lo done long-term trials to uh, identify which drugs should and shouldn't be given, which is terrible. Mm -hmm. That um, is amazing. Did yeah. you look you at breed differences at all? Did you have enough uh, uh, data to look at breed differences? Yeah, uh, they're actually, you know, the main breeds were uh, Maine Coon, Siamese, Ragdoll, Ragdoll. Uh, domestic short hair, of course. Um, and there, there, uh, there weren't any differences, but even though a thousand cats that were affected is a lot, to find breed differences, you need tens of thousands, yeah. and uh, we didn't have didn't tens have of thousands. And, and, but uh, those are the asymptomatic ones, yeah. the symptomatic ones, obviously you do have treatments for. Oh yeah, so if you're symptomatic, that means probably you developed a blood clot or uh, heart failure. Blood clots it's cases are always, whenever there are facilities, they should be hospitalized and treated on the emergency service. and. The first objective is uh, is very painful, so pain relief is the very first thing you you do when you try to uh, assess the level of pain and which drugs are going to be best suited. These poor cats are really mm -hmm. in a bad way it's with horrible. these with these clots, and then you look to see uh, to make sure. Well, are these cats also in heart failure? Or do they have an irregular heart rate? If so, you manage that effectively, and then the next thing is is you monitor them for their kidney function and their potassium. So it turns out that a blood clot cuts off blood circulation to the rear legs and those legs are deprived by uh, deprived of oxygen. And it injures the leg muscles and some of those muscle cells die. And in 24 to 48 hours after the blood clot, uh, some blood flow is reestablished uh, uh, through or past the clot and it, um, it feeds into the muscles, and however the muscles uh, cells have broken down and releases potassium, which are in the cells. Potassium in the cells are no problem, but when it's free, it gets into the blood, and now your blood potassium rises, mm -hmm. and that is catastrophic, and, when, uh, and it can raise really high within mm -hmm. a few hours, and that's one of the leading causes of these cats dying, uh, dying or yeah. being euthanized. So it's kind of a reperfusion. Injury. It is, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's yep. you want the blood to re to perfuse again and to break through the clot, and at the same time, it's going to sweep in any potassium from broken muscle cells, and uh, and it's a tidal wave of potassium that mm -hmm. is. Uh, that's fatal. And they're tricky cats too because they do have cardiac disease yeah. so fluid therapy is a tricky yeah. issue. And then it, and then part of this of course sometimes the kidneys are affected with blood clots uh, or the dehydrated and kidney function suffers or they're older cats and you get kidney issues of course. Yeah. So it's just devastating and it's very uh, it's a, a very horrible thing to, to have happen. Now heart failure is largely treatable. Um, I think in New York, uh, at AMC, we I bet you we send home 
eight out of every 10 cats first time failure, which is pretty good. Um, Now, second and third failure, of course, is harder because they get resistant to drugs and the heart disease gets gets worse. But you you manage, uh, you use diuretics like people and they're pills, but they're very small pills and people can usually give them. And and plus or minus uh, one or two other medications depending upon the uh, the details. These cats don't know they're sick. They're great pets. Um, they're just wonderful until they usually redevelop heart failure. Um, the average time in this series that we published, the time from heart failure to um, to death, was uh, was uh, I think a year and an average of a year and a half, wow. which means that um, once you develop heart failure your likely outcome, unfortunately, is very, uh, very limited. But that could be a decent year and a half. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. Their, their quality yeah. is generally just terrific. Yeah, yeah. yeah. For oncologists, a year and a half is really good. Yeah, yeah, fair Because enough. we always tend to uh, compare with, so I always tend to compare with cardiology and say, you know, uh, if you have an animal with atrium fibrillation, yeah, they yeah. only have three months. Yeah. But if you have a, a patient with cancer, they can yeah. live up to a year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, we like to keep them alive long enough so they have the the ability to develop other diseases. Yes, another disease. Yes. No, yeah, that, yeah, that, yeah. That's yeah. completely true. So, yeah. so just... Um, we talked about the asymptomatic ones. We don't really have a treatment for them. So what do you do? Well, the uh, you there are a couple of things you do. You you assess whether or not they should be on aspirin or a drug mm-hmm. like aspirin. Okay, so and that's to prevent the. That's a, so that's okay. preventative. So that's yeah. that's pretty well honed, and um, everyone is pretty much pulling on that same ore. And uh, there's a better drug than aspirin. It's called clopidogrel. Yeah, you talked about that. It's once yep. a day, and it's really terrific. Yep, mm. yep. we've used that So that's one thing yep. that you do? Yep. Um, we check diets, make sure nutrition is good. Mm-hmm. Uh, we occasionally pick up irregular heart rates, which we treat if they yep. need be. There are some effective drugs for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and how often do you see these cases come back? So, so do you tell them every three, four months I need to see you, or what do you yeah, say? Yeah, that would be a really, cat really on the, on the edge of failure. We usually see them back in six or 12, 12 months. If okay. they're asymptomatic. Yeah, asymptomatic. if they're asymptomatic. Just because uh, seeing them back more frequently is expensive and doesn't really lead to any benefit okay. in their health. Okay, yep. so six yep. to 12 months. Yeah. And you'll do an ultrasound on them at each visit, typically? Uh, t- typically, yeah. yeah. And cats... Cat heart disease can change over time. Uh, other species don't change much, or they change in a direction that we anticipate. Mm-hmm. But cat heart muscle, so a cat with a thick heart uh, can change to a cat with a dilated heart. And that's called remodeling. So mm-hmm. remodeling is when uh, a structure that is whatever way it is changes. We remodel, it's mm-hmm. called we gain weight, right? <laughs> Every day. So that's, that's a form of remodeling. and. Uh, some cats, uh, the common remodeling is when your chamber enlarges and or part of it gets thin. And then when that happens, we consider other drugs. They could be a class of drugs that people take too called ACE inhibitors. They're safe. They, they might be a beta blocker. Um, what about pemobendin? Much role for that? Ah, well, there you go. So there's a, um, a, um, a topic of interest, mm-hmm. pemobendin. 
is a drug that has, uh, it's used in a few countries. I think it's used in human medicine in Japan, mm. from where we are. Mm. And um, another Southeast Asian country and a few, but not, not too many. There's a drug like that in the, sta in the States called melanone that has been used. Uh, the class of drug is the same. It's called an inodilator. So it's an inotrope. It means it increases the strength of the heart muscle. Um, and it causes a, a dilation of vessels, which is, turns out to be a good thing. Well, um, it was initially developed uh, for people that have dilated weak hearts, and then it was shown to be very effective in the canine that had chronic valve overload, like wildly effective, and people said, why not cats? Well, um, there haven't been the type of studies that have been uh, conclusive. The studies have been supported by industry and they're usually shorter term than you'd like mm. uh, some go three months or half a year and you mm. just say geez i wish you could study it a few mm -hmm. more years and often small populations. small small limited populations and there's a study a well done study from a university it's a retrospective study meaning they looked at records and things that had already been done and gleaned from that certain findings and they found that cats that were on pimobendin did better with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy and heart failure than cats that weren't. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I don't think the, I think there's still more to be done and learned and um, mostly, uh, I don't know, I can't speak for the, all the cardiologists, but I think many people uh, reserve pimobendin until there's a real need, yeah. second mm -hmm. time heart failure or something. And then there's this, uh, another component that just say, oh, let's just let's just use it yeah so, so that's what we do when we don't know what to when do. we don't know what to do <laughs> if it might help and yeah. it doesn't hurt you know yeah. type of thing so yeah yeah uh, but almost at the end of the uh, the podcast oh. i have one more question yeah. for oh. you uh feline genome is known now um i would think that if you're so sure that this is a genetic abnormality uh. because we know what it is in people why does Everybody jump on that and and look for that specific yeah. gene. Not for lack it. of trying. Yeah, <laughs> I think that that uh, some very talented, smart veterinarians have been doing this for easily fifteen years, yeah. with um, collaboration from um, high, uh, highly proficient uh, medical schools and, and investigators in human medicine, and I think that they. I mean, in people, the genetic mutations have been known, some of them, for 20 years. Mm. But there's a lot of them. And there's a lot of them, and there's more and more. So mm. the most common ones, the low-hanging fruit, was looked at some time ago, and um, everyone I know says they, they did a good so job. Mm. So maybe they're different mutations, or who, who knows. Mm. But it's you would hope that, that the genome would make it more likely that in the near future we'll find some things. Mm. Yeah, so, so the so lymphatoth growth from uh, Uppsala obviously doing a lot of research yeah. in canines, do they do also in cats, do you know? Because that would be, I mean, yeah. this would be a genetic defect yeah. that I would say, whoa, let's go. Yeah, I it. know the group, they do great work. Yeah. Uh, I just don't particularly know, I'm not involved in it myself, and mm. I don't know to what extent they have branched out into mm -hmm. felines and others. It would be very interesting. And this is, once again, the cat mm -hmm. being at the end of the spectrum mm -hmm. of yes. our research uh, efforts. Yeah. But, uh, there, my impression is there's somewhat less going on in that area right now. There was a big flurry of activity, of course, at, at one mm -hmm. point when the ragdoll mutation yeah. and the Maine Coon mutation were yeah. identified, and that made everybody very excited. Mm. 
um, but we've just failed to really. Well, we hit a wall, hit a and, wall. and more further findings were not forthcoming, and no. uh, it's been a, a great disappointment, yep. but uh, it doesn't mean they won't. It's just, it, I think it's not that they won't just a matter of when, and we hope that there'll be there'll be more information on this in the near future. Yeah. Has been really great. Yeah. yeah. Wonderful podcast. Yeah. I mean, really all exciting that to hear about the consensus yeah. statement. I'm yes. Not, yeah, that's and, lovely. And, and we'll post it on www.perpodcast.net, our yep. website. Uh, and uh, we need to thank you for being here. My yeah. pleasure. It's been awesome. My and pleasure. We're very lucky. And then thank you. Dr. I Susan think... needs to make a plug for the uh, podcast. Uh, I do for the podcast. Mm-hmm. But before we do, I think um, you're the first cardiologist we've yes. had and we've been doing this podcast for almost a year and a half oh well yes. it's an honor think, to be the first I, I think you're the first cardiologist we've had so exciting. yeah be yes. not the first nor the last the poet said right? there you no, go no, exactly. that's right yeah exactly yeah so yeah. that's very exciting yeah. yeah um so what yola's kind of prompting me to do is the fact that we're also launching um a new podcast that's aimed specifically at cat owners versus the the veterinary healthcare team uh, that we're very excited about because it's going to help us take topics like this and maybe take some of the scientific ease, you know, the scientific mm. terminology out of it and make it a little bit easier for um, cat owners uh, to understand. Mm. So Yes, yeah. yes. And if you like this podcast, please uh, like us, subscribe, and Tell us how us. much you like Dr. Fox. I know, this is awesome. Give us a good rating. Exactly. And we'll have to have you back again because yeah. we really only talked about one feline yes. cardiac disease. Yeah, well, there's many. And there are many. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And we can't ignore them. So exactly. we've got subjects for um, some other episodes. So thank you. Absolutely. Awesome. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Dr. Susan Little is a feline medicine specialist with two cat-only hospitals in Ottawa, Canada. She is best known as an international speaker and as the author and editor of two textbooks, The Cat, Clinical Medicine and Management, and August, Consultations in Feline Internal Medicine. Along with three cats, she also admits to owning two dogs, and you can follow her on social media with the handle at Cat Pet Susan. Dr. Yerla Kirpenstein is a diplomate of the American and European College of Veterinary Surgeons and a big cat fan. His specialties range from surgical oncology and reconstruction to minimally invasive surgery. He is the author of two textbooks on basic and reconstructive surgery. Did you know he was allergic to cats? Yola works currently at Hills Pet Nutrition. You can follow him on social media with the handle at GVE. TSX. This episode is made possible by the generous sponsorship of the Take the Pledge Against Struvites in Pets Facebook page. Did you know there are three easy steps to treat bladder stones in cats with lower urinary tract signs? Step one is to take a radiograph, and if there is a stone present in the bladder, step two is to use the Minnesota Urolith app for iPhone and Android to determine the most likely type of stone. Step three is to treat the cat for at least two to three weeks with an appropriate diet and see if the stone gets smaller. If so, keep feeding that diet until the stone is completely gone on follow-up radiographs. If not, check compliance with the owner and look for alternative treatment options. Join veterinarians worldwide to take the pledge not to remove struvite stones by surgery anymore. The opinions of this podcast are those by Dr. Susan Little and Dr. Yola Kirpenstein. Veterinary medicine is a complex profession, and often there are multiple diagnostic and therapeutic options for different disease processes. If you're a pet owner with questions, please go to your local veterinarian. If you're a veterinary professional, ask your questions on our Instagram page at per podcast.